Hello, welcome to Heavy Hole Podcast. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle, but wait a minute, Justin's back. Enough about me. What's up, Justin? I'm so hungry. <laughs> he hasn't eaten since the last time you've heard him on the podcast. It's been weeks since yeah. I've had any sort of protein or fat. We found and him wandering. He washed up on the shore of Huntington Harbor. There was an alleged fishing incident. We're not going to get into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, News 12 is at your door. We're not We're not give, giving the journalists anything yet. How are you? Are you okay? I'm doing great, Will. Uh, you summed it up perfectly, and I thank you all for, your, for uh, respecting my privacy mm-hmm. and my time. And it's great. Everything's great. I uh, can't complain at all, uh, except for all the weight that I've lost. So how are you guys doing? <laughs> Relieved. Yeah, <laughs> to have you back. I'm just on the podcast. It, it's a uh, it's a warming feeling. I was getting nervous there. Uh, now I'm just sweaty. Yes, because it's hot in here. Even though it's end of October, uh, we're in my basement again, which yeah. gets. Yeah, so. back in the basement. Um, you're significantly less obese than me. So if you're sweating, I'm in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it's gonna it's gonna get real humid in here for the big guy quick. Um, but enough about all that, Tom. How are you doing though? How was your weekend? What's going on? Doing good. Did a bit of partying as usual on the weekend. You know, we like to oh, get out my, there. These, these guys. What are you? I was gonna say these young guys. What are you guys like? Maybe four or five years younger than me. Come on. Uh, yes, I'm I'm fifty. So <laughs> I like to party in later hosen. I like Whoa. to umpa. That's what we did what? over the weekend. I uh, got some custom later hosing. Yeah, we had a little Oktoberfest party. Um, you know, and in, in, in the the constant feud uh, against our bodies. What goes on? on the pain I'm not around. Doing. What? We don't want to scare you away. We will. <laughs> you know, you'll have to decide how much of this is truth. Okay, Hint, all of it. Yeah, uh, godless truth. The band. Yeah, um, to steer it back to death. Definitely metal. godless. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> to steer it back to death metal. Yeah, no, um, this was more of like a, a one-time Corpaclani kind of escapade. <laughs> wow. Uh, but okay. we're bringing it back home now. Okay. okay. Back to the tape. Interesting. Inter- that's an that's a area of metal we haven't really journeyed into. The whole folk, um, like trollish, cl- like yeah. ancient clothing metal. Ancient clothing metal. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, their clothing uh, looks like something you'd wear in ancient times. They're mm-hmm. committed. Stacking rocks to that image. It's, I, I, it's, it's cultural. I mean, they don't. And when I was, they didn't do that in Queens and in um, Long Island and stuff. You know, very true. Yeah, it's a um, cultural thing that is. Um, I, I I don't understand, but I respect. I'm willing to take a deep dive into that because I have a guilty pleasure for that for that type of music. I do. Okay. Um, I can't la- name every band, but every now and then I hear a a, a troll hammering from Fin Troll, and I go, Ah, oh, want to drink a beer to this tonight? Well, you know what. I, I don't know if we could drink a beer. You, you guys might have to leave me out. I might have to bounce and drink a beer somewhere <laughs> else to, some, to, to regurgitate or something. But uh, somewhere we can go tonight. Uh, you talk about trolls and this, this troll metal and these guys with the ancient clothing, and they're celebrating their culture. I wonder, can I take a segue on a majestic tour of the 50 states of the United States of America? Ooh. That's, sure can. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, we're steeped in, um, you know, the... the you know the highway culture. You know, hit the road and the, see the tourist attractions and everything. Uh, maybe some people to ask would be somebody who like maybe got married to each other and lived in an RV for like a whole bunch of years and recorded albums out of the RV and toured the country and just lived nomadically. I, 
Imagine your life was always adventure. Imagine I found those two people, and imagine I gave them your number, Tom. So oh. you got yeah. Tell your parents to get off the phone. They're t- you're tying up the line. They gotta mm-hmm. yeah. Get off the mm-hmm. AOL right. chat room because okay. tying up and unplug the fax machine. I'll take care of them. They're calling us tonight. Uh, we got Jucifer um, uh, allegedly calling up. Uh, hopefully they do because this whole intro will be w- uh, worthless if they um, <laughs> <laughs> if they got better plans. Heavy whole podcast. It's Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, uh, joined as always uh, by my co-host Tom, and uh, as sometimes by Justin. Thank God we got Justin back today. Uh, and our special guest today on the phone is Gazelle Amber Valentine of the band Jucifer. Thank you for your time. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, great. Thanks for asking. That not everybody asks us how we're doing. Um, but <laughs> well, that sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay because it's not about us. It's about you. And, um, you know, like I said, to be respectful of your time, jumping right into it, uh, I know I, I actually watched uh, a little bit of the movie. It's a documentary, Slow Southern Steel, um, about bands from the South of the more like metal and extreme nature. And I, I saw uh, you and we should shout out uh, at least your husband, Edgar, um, uh, speaking a little bit about growing up. And something that you said was that you grew up on something that was that you would describe as something more extreme than a farm and a lot of animals. Is there anything you want to talk about in terms of your upbringing like that? Um, uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I absolutely. It's been so long since we uh, interviewed and for that film that I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. But um, it wasn't. It wasn't like a farm. It was more just like out in the country. We had farmers around us, um, but I always was, uh, I didn't have kids my age to hang out with, um, hardly any kids at all, and they weren't anywhere close to me in age. So I didn't really have peers. I had animal friends. I think <laughs> that's what I was talking about. Okay. All right. And is is that Athens? I know the band uh, kind of has roots in Athens, Georgia. Are you from Athens, Georgia? Um, I'm not. I moved there. I was in a super rural um, part of Georgia that's basically on the Alabama border, um, not even a town, but kind of near Atlanta. So closer to Atlanta than Athens, actually. Um, but I moved to Athens hoping to find like people that I, I felt like I would have more in common with. Okay, and are you? And from- I did. I, I found my husband, so <laughs> it worked. It worked out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, are you from uh, a, a musical family in any way? Are there other musicians in your family, or is there anyone else um, in your upbringing that appreciated, like, maybe heavy metal or hard rock or anything like that? Yeah, I didn't really have um, metal people at all uh, in my family. I didn't have uh, anybody like that, the age that would probably have been into that, um, to be involved with in my immediate family. Um so I found metal really kind of on my own, I guess, by accident. I found punk rock first. And back in the day, um, I don't know how old you guys are and people listening, but um, back in the day, they were kind of in the same 
place. Like if you stumbled into punk, you stumbled into metal and vice versa. Um, I know now it's, it's probably a lot different for people when they're just discovering those worlds, um, especially in the underground. There's just a lot more um, out there, a lot more to choose from, and it's a lot more accessible. Um, but as far as music, um, my dad was a musician. Um, my mom loved music, but she didn't... Uh, she always got made fun of for not for being tone deaf. <laughs> she wasn't a musician. Um, but my my dad's family, there were musicians then, and my my mom's family as well. Um, I actually found out, unfortunately, way after my grandma had passed, um, I found out that she was a jazz singer for for a minute back in like the forties or something. But I, I totally hadn't. I have no further information about that period of her life. So you know, there's definitely something of a. Uh, leaning towards being interested in music, I guess. And my parents had a lot of great records, but none of them were metal records. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I can say the same about my parents for the most part. Um, so <laughs> we, you mentioned that you moved to uh, Athens, Georgia, trying to um, uh, find uh, more, you know, more like-minded people. You obviously find your husband. Um, as much as you'd like to tell us, could you could you tell us about like uh, first moving? That did you have connections in Athens? Did you just kind of like show up alone and try to go at it and find a job? And maybe like uh, getting getting into the local music scene and how you and Edgar met? Well, I went there. Um, actually, I, I said to find like minded people, but that's kind of like a. a when you revise your own history because you've changed so much since that time in your life, I guess, because now that I think about it, I went there thinking that I was going to stop being a weirdo and, and I was going to get a college degree at a university and work. I was actually going to be an agriculture major. That that was how drastically I had decided that this whole um, idea of like being an artist and doing that thing that I loved, um, I decided that wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to probably be able to support myself. And I was, I basically was trying to relinquish part of myself, which was a really, really bad idea. Um, and I would never advise that for people. I think, I think I would have been unhappy for the rest of my life if I had actually kept following that route. But what happened to me once I got to Athens, um, and when I went there, I had a car and I had a black hefty bag and I had an acoustic guitar. That was all my possessions. Um, I had a boombox in my hefty bag and probably a few... God, I don't even know what I was listening to at that point. It might have been cassettes. I don't even remember if I had a, a CD player at that point. Um, and I uh, I lived with a friend illegally. Um, oh, wait, don't put that out loud. <laughs> Alleg allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, you can't get just a podcast. Allegedly. <laughs> I lived with a friend um, who had a dorm room. Uh, I wasn't officially living there. And that's how I started. And I got a really awful job that I don't want to call out because, you know, bygones be bygones. But, <laughs> um, and I started uh, basically trying to apply for student loans. And I started filling out forms and I, I got about halfway through this multi-page form, and I, I kept seeing all this stuff about how I was going to have to pay this thing back. And I kept thinking about what I knew about the world, my family, um, 
I saw in my immediate family who were mostly uh, teachers and uh, electricians and, you know, jobs like that where we weren't, we weren't like the poorest people, but we weren't at all uh, well off, I guess. And I saw that I, I also knew from working in restaurants already, um, which I started really young, people that worked beside me had PhDs and master's degrees and they had the same job I had. So I stopped filling out the forms and decided that I was just going to live there instead of going to school there. Um, and that's how I eventually, you know, went through a couple more jobs, got went through a couple more apartments, um, eventually started playing shows. Um, I was playing by myself, hoping to find someone that might want to play with me because I really wasn't trying to be a solo artist. Um, and that's how I ended up meeting Edgar. So. Okay, and who is Edgar when you meet him? Oh, man. <laughs> um, he actually was playing with another guy, and they were roommates at the time, and Edgar was playing bass, and the other guy was playing drums, and that drummer guy, I have to thank for being a super aggressive, uh, forward kind of person who um, came up to me and told me that they were my rhythm section. <laughs> <laughs> And and, uh, and Edgar was a lot more shy than that, and in the long run, that you know, he and I hit it off in in so many ways better than we were able to connect with the drummer. We're still friends with the drummer on a you know catch up every once in a while online or whatever. But um, if it wasn't for that guy basically saying, "Hey, you know, you're cool, and we're going to play with you," <laughs> I don't know if Edgar would have been been the one to come up and do that, and, and uh, that would have been a, a sad way for things to never happen in both of our lives. So I'm I'm really thankful for that happening. Okay, that that's interesting. It's like a twist of fate. You never know. Um, and we know from history that in '94, if I say it right, it's the Nader uh, EP, your independent cassette, um, was was put out, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and now, something I, as we as we get into like your recorded output along the way, um, it seems like you start off with a very raw, sludgy vibe. And for that time period, maybe people might think of like the Melvins and uh, other bands. Like, I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What are some of your influences getting into that? Was it was it a, a thing going on in Athens, Georgia? Was it something where you just wanted to, to turn things up to a real? ugly kind of tone and sound what what was your inspiration for beginning that the band um and recording your first releases as jucifer i mean my favorite music when i found um well let me start with my favorite radio music my favorite radio music was the two songs by black sabbath heart um i mean this is growing up in the 70s you know i i i always loved certain pop music too but I was always more drawn to the kind of darker melodies and um, distorted guitar. I just, you know, there were things that I was just instinctively connecting to, even when I was a baby. Um, my parents would tell me, you know, you know, which things that I seemed to respond to or whatever first. But then when I found underground music, um, it was really random how I found it. I didn't have a record store I could go to. Um, I'm sure they were starting to be around, like, in cities, but I wasn't anywhere close enough, you know, and couldn't get myself to a place like that. So the earliest music that I was listening to outside of mainstream radio was uh, the first couple Black Flyer records, um, 
I think it's the first minor threat, the one that's self-titled. Um, uh, there are a couple of DRI records. I had, um, so what else? Um, uh, Slayer, When Rain and Blood came out, I heard and um, eventually heard obituary. Um, stuff like that. So that was like the first um I guess underground music I heard, and that was an influence on me on some level for sure. My thing when I started writing music, um, as soon as I was able to sort of figure out how to play guitar a little bit, I wanted to make my own songs. And it was never, I know some musicians, maybe, maybe a lot of musicians go into it kind of like, I want to be in this kind of band. I want it to sound like this. And I'm, and these are the, the bands that I, I'm going to try to learn from to do it. And my way of approaching music was, like I said, I'm sure some of the things I heard came into my brain and stayed there. But I wanted to just make something that I would want to hear. And I never, I never sat down and learned other people's songs, stuff like that. Um, after my first couple of, first time I picked up a guitar, I did that. I learned a few riffs. But then after that, it was like, I wanted to kind of break ground for myself, if not for anybody else. Like, and I, I kind of stayed that way. Um, so by the time I got together with Edgar, like he saw me play a bunch of songs that were mine. Um, and he saw me play them with an electric guitar um, through a couple of amplifiers by myself. And that's, that's what he and the other guy saw me doing when I was performing. And they were like, you know, wow, this is really huge. and like this could be so heavy if there was drums right <laughs> that was kind of their attitude um meanwhile like the way edgar grew up he had more access he grew up near dc um and he was listening to probably all kinds of stuff i know he liked uh he liked everything that that people liked in the late 80s early 90s i guess that was kind of whatever cool in the underground scene and stuff he was a lot more in tune with that kind of stuff, but he wasn't where the heavy influence really came from as we were writing. So it's kind of interesting because I think in retrospect, a lot of times people compare us to um, other bands that were happening in a sort of similar time period. Um, and I'm not sure any of them were listening to each other and we weren't necessarily listening to them until kind of after the fact. But I think that all of us around that time period, if we were a certain age, we all grew up hearing that early, you know, punk and metal um, to some extent. And that, and the rock, you know, we all had the radio. And that was the way you listened to music back then. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like any of the underground bands could avoid hearing like Led Zeppelin or, you know, whatever, anything. I don't know. Even uh, the kind of funny funnier side of pop music or whatever we all heard it growing up so it, it all had to get in there and and sort of brew inside our brains along with anything else we were trying to do as our own creation you know black sabbath and led zeppelin into um black flag and minor threat is a potent mixture uh and who knows you know that how many other bands that that brought us um from back in the day now you talk about um uh, the early years of the band 
Was it ever, was it a conscious decision and how early on in the band did it become a thing where your live shows are kind of known for maybe a much more louder, explosive experience and uh, your recorded output, you, you maybe experiment with the atmosphere more, if that's fair to say. Yeah, um, the first time we got ready to make a full-length album, we actually had a conversation like we have, all of our albums have some kind of theme and a story and uh, we had a theme and a story um, about this fictitious character for the first record and it was kind of a, a mixture of something that Edgar had imagined and something I had imagined before we met and a lot of songs in that record are actually songs that both of us had written years and years before we even met each other which is kind of funny um, because that record came out the first time a couple years after we recorded it and then it came out on a major label about six years after that or so so it was kind of a weird way to to kind of have to live with something that you did such a long time ago yeah. <laughs> but we also we wanted to like I guess part of that the first full-length album for us was also like as uh as people who were kind of had discovered each other and each other's history of songwriting, you know, from being little kids, basically, to young adults, like, we were admiring one another and like, hey, those songs you wrote when you were a kid that you think are kind of weird and maybe not that great, like, I think they're awesome, and vice versa. Um, and we built a story that would kind of be able to, to work with some of the ideas that we had made up before. But we knew that story was going to include songs that were not anything like what we were playing live. And we knew that was going to be a problem in the music industry. <laughs> um, we knew that, that you're supposed to do records to promote your shows and vice versa. And we just couldn't live with that kind of uh, constraint on what we felt like doing. And I guess, you know... We made that choice that long ago, and we've stuck to it. And for better or worse, we know that it uh, it can make people who hear like, "Oh my God," you know, they're they're so heavy and like amazing in that way. And then if somebody like pulls up the wrong song on YouTube, they're like, "Oh, gross! This isn't that at all." <laughs> and vice versa, like somebody's like, "Oh, she's got." Such a, nice voice and you should check out you know they make this this pretty song and then somebody finds like a video of us playing live and they're like oh my god what is this awful noise like <laughs> we get it from both sides and uh at this point like that's fine you know we we do um we do what we enjoy the only reason we ever got into it was to please ourselves we know we're never going to please everybody else and so we're doing that and and we're gonna keep doing that as long as we can all right uh fair enough and uh, on on that note you um how 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 soon into your career do you get the notion to come up with the i believe it's the white wall of death right the the wall of speaker cabinets that you're known for yeah well um basically oh like I said, when Edgar first saw me, which is like before we formed our band, and we were playing for a while before we started playing shows together and stuff. But I was uh, I was playing through Byant, um, 
and distorted um, as a solo person. So as soon as we got together um, and the drummer wasn't involved anymore, which took, I don't know, I can't remember, a couple weeks, a couple months, um, we the drummer kind of figured out that he wanted to do different things in life entirely. He wasn't even fully interested in playing music anymore. And uh, at that point, Edgar and I were super into what we were doing together. And um, so we, as we started to um, play shows, I took over his bass gear as well um, because he was he had switched to drums. Um, and the first couple shows we played out, I actually it's kind of funny because I remember somebody coming up that was playing in another band at the time that was I don't even I don't know if they've done anything for a very long time, but they were kind of regional and lived lived around it either Athens or Atlanta. And this guy came up and was like, "Man, what you're doing with that guitar amping? That's." That's really, can I cut on here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. really fucking cool. That's really <laughs> fucking cool. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm going to steal that. And uh, what happened is people, people, a lot of people did. I, mean, I certainly wasn't the first person to ever do that. But uh, what, I'm trying to go through chronology. Um, that aside, what we found was that even though I was doing that, and I loved how I wanted to make the guitar sound like five guitars and two basses. I didn't want it to just sound like one you know, standard guitar. Um, and so I did that. Um, but <laughs> I could just leave it there. But, um, but what happened as we started playing shows was that a lot of times young sound engineers um sad but true they you know maybe they would have done this if i was a dude I, I can't say for sure but i was treated as if my guitar playing wasn't important and my voice was and so we would end up finding out after the fact like somebody's you know videoing our show or something whatever we get a, a board tape and there's absolutely no guitar going through like a big pa and we hated that because at that point especially like a lot of our songs hardly even had singing so <laughs> like what the hell is going on here like yeah. this is horrible and um so our goal at that point just became to um completely be able to rule our own sound and we did that too um and then we painted it white um after a lot a lot of people were saying, I don't know if this happens to do either, and I'm going to just give that the benefit of the doubt. But um, as we became more known and we did more and more touring, we got more and more haters who would love to say that, oh, you know, oh, sh she's not really using all that. I even had some people who said that I didn't play all my guitar parts, that there was somebody hiding behind the, the wall of ants <laughs> and stupid stuff like that. Yeah. So eventually we we pulled all the grills off and painted white around the speakers, hoping for people to understand, look, those are speakers, see them, they're moving. <laughs> they're there and they're moving. <laughs> um, and it kind of worked. And then we still have, have had our haters and, you know, whatever. It's it's a foolish thing. The point for us of having all that stuff all only goes back to me wanting to make the guitar sound like five guitars and two basses 
and us wanting to control our own sound so that when we were on stage, we wouldn't feel like this band that we both wanted to be super based on what the guitar was doing um, had suddenly become just singing and drums. You know, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a terrible feeling. Like, if you love heavy music and you love that feeling of having it pound for your body, like, to to have to have that behind us all the time was the main goal of having so much gear. Like, I always was able to attain the sound that I wanted without as much of it, but to just have it all around us and nobody can, like, unless somebody turned off the, the electricity, nobody could make it tiny and inaudible at that point. Yeah, um, and I mean, even taking that a step further, what you just said, it sounds like you've allowed or you've built the band to be all around you because I know that you've recorded several albums and releases now within your touring RV, uh, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, could you just take, I mean, because the concept, uh, you know, we're, we're all, we've all been in bands uh, here and all that, but we've never recorded in an RV that we live out of. Um, that, that concept, I mean, just the idea of like, where do you practice that noise isn't an issue? And um, uh, like, what are, you know, what are some of the pros and cons of that? Well, we never, um, we never really practiced at full, we never really practiced um, very much. <laughs> After we started touring a lot, we would literally um, come up with a song either on stage, like just jamming as we played an encore or at the beginning of the set. Um, you know, at the end, at the beginning of every one of our shows, um, we I always have to play an extended time on the guitar where I try to make the, the, the power trip make the breakers trip in the building <laughs> because what we found is <laughs> that no matter how um how much they they have the best intentions and how much people think they know about their building and the electricity there you can't rely on it <laughs> and and we we want safety like that's actually you know a safety factor if breakers start burning in the building <laughs> so uh we learned a long time ago that you know you have to do a power check before you and the worst most frustrating thing in the world is you start playing the first song and you go into like a blast part and the power trips yeah and the drummer's yeah. just blasting alone <laughs> Yeah. And people in the audience don't understand necessarily because they just assume it was meant to do that. And then it, it lasts for too long and they get mad at you. <laughs> like, come on, just play. And like, I don't have electricity. There's probably re recordings of me on YouTube. Like, I'm sorry, I don't have electricity. <laughs> but um, so anyway, when we're doing that, um, Sometimes, well, what would happen is that I'd be playing the guitar, and Edgar would be um, behind the speakers watching my amp rack and looking for things to like to dim out, <laughs> and, <laughs> and being usually we'd have the sound engineer um, at the ready, like knowing where the breakers were for the stage, like if the trips try flipping it back if that doesn't work 
um, Edgar scrambling around with extension cords trying to like change which amps are going to which circuit. <laughs> and all this is happening while I'm play- just playing guitar. So, like a lot of our shows start with just a, some kind of me just riffing and trying to make low cycle feedback because that's usually what really kills it. Um, and then after that is finished and he feels confident that the, the power's not going to blow, uh, he'll come on stage. And at that point, usually we would start into a song, but every once in a while, we would just start jamming and we would write a song that way. And like I said, if we're doing an encore, sometimes we'll just start making shit up. <laughs> and then we like it and we do it again the next night. And then after a few nights, we know it and it's a song. And some of our songs, like over you know the last 20 years, came about like that. Sometimes like we would just have an idea, one or the other of us, and sing it to the other person. And then like I'm driving, I'm usually driving and he's sitting in the passenger seat and I'm singing a guitar part that I have in mind, and he starts, you know, hitting the floor with his feet for the kick part and smacking on the dashboard and the windowsill for the other, you know, snare and the cymbals. Mouth cymbals usually, actually, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's how, that's how we wrote songs. And then when we went to record in the RV, we had to find a, somebody's land where we could put it and not have neighbors that would be bothered by it so that's what we did for that oh okay wow that's a lot right there and you, and you, when you're talking about the process um checking the amplifiers while you're playing guitars and uh, in the in the beginning, it reminds me of what you said in the beginning of the interview about having electricians and teachers in the family that sounds like it comes in handy right? uh, that, that, yeah that, I know that, it's knowledge it's, it's kind of funny uh, it's something that I, I didn't realize at the time that I was building um, the level of knowledge that I had to build to learn how to, to do what I wanted to do, you know, but I, I really did. And I, I actually bitched about it on Twitter a while back. Like, I have become an expert at doing one thing that nobody else knows how to do and nobody else would ever want to do, <laughs> which is to, to build, set up and wire and make work my amp rig and like what a weird expertise and what a weird thing to spend your life accomplishing like basically building castles to destroy them (laughs) what i would say but you know it's a weird uh arcane kind of skill i guess um and like i said there's edgar doesn't know how to do it like like he'll go around the building while i'm wearing my rig and um and find out as much as he can, like which breaker goes to which outlets and stuff like that, and run separate outlets for my power. But I'm the only person in the world that has, can hook up the white wall and make it make sound. And that's kind of a weird thing. It's like, I mean, it's cool, but is it that cool? <laughs> but I spent my whole life doing that. <laughs> it's it, it's it's um, it's ominous sounding. Um, well, well, on that note, though, you you talk about um, uh, the clubs and say, something I wanted to ask you is: Have you ever had? Uh, problems because clubs that are used to a normal rock band coming through every night and then they have you are you too loud for the neighbors are you too loud for their curfew are their sound engineers fed up with you and what are you doing this is crazy have you had any instances like that where people just weren't ready for this and uh, why can't you just be like the other bands yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we have probably 
our very first show in a in a club club. Um, four maybe. Um, I remember the sound engineer was telling Edgar to lay off the brass. That was, and we what? never forgot because we we thought that was a funny thing to say. And <laughs> he meant the cymbals. Edgar, that was another reason why I had to get more and more gear also back in the day is that he's a really, really fucking loud drummer. Like, painful. I can't be around him. Just him just hitting one drum once. I have, if I don't have my earplugs in, I'm like, ah, fuck you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we've had, it's definitely better the longer we've been a band because obviously people are more aware of what to expect but even when promoters know what your band does it doesn't always mean the venue does or that sometimes the promoter doesn't know what the venue um parameters are for sound so like um we've had almost had to physically fight people before because they were so upset at our sound i can't tell you how many times somebody has like grabbed me and just tried to physically pull me away from playing like which is what they do when uh i you know i'm when i'm playing a show i'm not looking we don't really stop and like like talk to the the crowd or anything like that when we play we get into like this this world that's just our music and that's that's another reason we wanted the speakers all behind us all across the stage. So like there's never this like being shaken out of that moment. Like you guys, if, if you all play in bands, I'm sure you understand that feeling like you're playing your, your guitar, or your bass or whatever, and you go sideways and you can't hear it anymore. And it sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that was, that was something like early on I wanted to avoid. And then Edgar realized like, if he didn't have himself placed just right on a stage, like say, if we played after some other bands and he, the kit got set up real fast and he was off to the side a little bit and he couldn't, you know, the monitors were never enough. Like it's always been really hard for us to convince people. Our monitor mix is really funny too. Like no guitar, I mean, sorry, no vocals and no drums, all guitar and bass. And uh, which, by which I mean, guitar mic and bass, bass speaker mic. Um, so it's just, people, it's just more the, of the wall. More of the wall, exactly. Like that's what we both want. <laughs> we can't have, we can't have enough. <laughs> like, you can see how we got into this. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 almost like this, like you know, this uh, mystical power that absorbs you. I, I I'm starting. I feel like I'm starting to wrap my head around it a little bit now. Okay. It is. And like, that's the thing, like, you know, people have always, people have assumed that we're doing it for, like, bad, uh, I don't know, cheesy reasons, gimmicky reasons, whatever. Like, oh, yeah, they're trying to be cool and have all these free. But at the same time, people have always said, God, I don't know how you guys deal with carrying all that everywhere and moving it everywhere and, like, doing that for every show. And, like, yeah, we we wouldn't, the latter wouldn't be true if we were doing it for the former reason right like we'd have we'd have just some big decoration that looks cool behind us but the point is to be like i I don't know both of us have this really strong desire that when we play a part of it's from being shy like we're not we like people and stuff but we're not we don't like to be looked at we don't like to be on stage necessarily in the sense of like 
some performers are really into that. Like they, they, they're at their happiest if they're like, I don't know, getting attention on stage, which is fine. Like that's, I envy them in a way. <laughs> but for us, it's about like not being there as the people that we are. It's about just getting completely lost in the music. So when we have that sound surrounding us that way, we are not anything outside of like the sounds of each other's instruments and whatever I'm screaming about. Like those, that's all that we're experiencing in that moment. And that's, that's like a high, that's something, and it's never, I mean, you guys as musicians would know this too, like eight times out of 10, you don't quite do it right. Like, <laughs> like you're close. And, uh, and other people that don't, you know, that aren't you wouldn't even know that you felt weird at a split second moment of your show. And like, you weren't sure if you made that, that note just right or hit your drum just right. And, and then if you look back on it later, if you get a recording of the show, you're like, oh, that was fine. I didn't actually screw up at all. <laughs> but yeah. like the, the times when you can actually play your whole show and feel like you're, like you're supernatural that's very very addictive and it's definitely enhanced by having all the sounds surrounding you all over yeah i i can i can imagine that's um that's that's interesting and it kind of it puts things in perspective um and and now you know to be respectful of your time we just want to i have um one listener uh question one of our patreon pledges uh adam moore actually uh he, he says he's a lifelong georgian and when we put up that we were interviewing you, he says, I can confirm that these guys are absolutely legendary, at least in this state. Um, I can think of a hundred things I'd like to ask Ed and Amber. He goes on. Uh, but but here's his question. Um, Jucifer's fourth full length and second for Relapse Records, and he helps me with the pronunciation, uh, Latricien, La, La if I got that right, is a sprawling 70-minute long concept album about the life and death of Marie Antoinette that features nearly every genre of music that Jucifer have worked in both before and since. What was the inspiration to write a record about this specific historical figure and what led to the album being such a broad a broad variety of styles? Okay, that's a big question. Um, and he, thank got, you, he's got, he's Adam, got a for... <laughs> he's got a follow-up, too, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God, okay. <laughs> um, first, first, I just want to say thank you, uh, for saying that Adam and that's really awesome to hear like um, I don't know just to, just anytime someone tells you that you've made some kind of impact is really important and I just want to express like our gratitude for that and then uh, as far as the album with Christian um, it's an album about the French Revolution although Marie Antoinette got ended up on the cover um, and some of the songs are actually written um, as imagined from her perspective um, but other songs on the album are for example one of them is probably a couple of them are for the, from the perspective of people revolting against the monarchy um, and a couple of the songs were written from the perspective of the king realizing that he's about to just it's all over for him and for his family um i was interested in in the french revolutionary period from the time i was a little kid 
and it was always something that I, I wanted to write music about. Um, and I got, Edgar and I both love history, um, and most of our music is actually either inspired by in a, in a way that we haven't necessarily talked about by history or it's um, really overtly about history. So that was the first time I think if I'm remembering correctly. The, the album before that was actually about the early um, labor fight in the United States. Um, the Assign Enemy Hunger record, a lot of people probably don't know this because we really didn't say so, I think, in, in, if I recall correctly. Um, in the liner notes, we just kind of, I don't know, we used to think when we started making records that that it was cool to let people figure stuff out for themselves. And in a way it is, I, I still like that. But also, um, especially I think when people know there's a couple in the band, people always assume that a singer is kind of singing about themselves. I think that's just natural to assume. Um, and then when there's a couple, a lot of times people think if it sounds like it's an angry song, maybe it's about you and your relationship. And we realized that people were interpreting some of our music that way, and that wasn't the case. So with Lutrician, we really wanted to make, um, both for those reasons, like as far as playing to our band, but also because of the history is so, it's so intense. Like, what people went through in the French Revolution was not easy. Um, no matter who you were, people suffered and a lot of people died. And we didn't want people to just hear the songs and think that, you know, that, I don't know, I have, I have there's a song on the record that I wrote about um, Marie Antoinette sitting in her cell knowing she's about to get executed. And it's, it just says tonight, tonight, and I mean, stuff like that. I don't want people to think that's just a song about like tonight. I'm going out later or something. You know? <laughs> like, it, it seems like an injustice to the person who went through that that uh, that I'm writing about. So we uh, kind of lost track of the question, didn't I? <laughs> well, not not really, and I'm sure Adam appreciates that. But I mean, to, what you're saying, I think, is that it's all about the context. With a with yeah. a lot of juice, I mean, even when when you go back to what you're talking about with the wall of sound, it's all about the context uh, and the perception of it, and and uh, you know, people like you said, people might think there's a gimmick to it or whatever. But um, t you know, to follow up on Adam's question about that specific album, because uh, he has a lot of reverence for it, as do I think a lot of your fans. He says, given the length and scope of this album, how does the band view it within your overall discography? Is it just another album, or do you consider it your magnum opus, so to speak? Well, we, I mean, <laughs> this might come across less humble than I would like to be as a human being, but as an artist, everything we touch, we're trying to do as a magnum opus. It may not be perceived that way to other people, and we, we acknowledge that and we accept that as a that's the way the world is. Um, that's definitely the way the world is for art. It's super subjective. Some people, you know, give two different people the same song or the same piece of art, and it can be genius or, you know, a total hack that doesn't know anything. Um, in the scope of our discography, like, we love all of our albums. We think each one of them 
you know, each one of them is a goal we're trying to meet of executing a story that we want to tell um, through sound and through lyrics and also through emotion. Another thing that that is true of us is that we don't go for, like, perfect take. We're not trying to prove to people that we can play our instruments or for me that I can sing. We go for the take that feels like what we're trying to get across emotionally. So if it's if it's screaming and my voice is breaking, it's not because I can't like maintain a good scream. It's because this story that we're telling in this song is about someone in anguish and agony. And I want, I'm, I'm feeling that. I mean, I honestly, when I'm recording vocals, I, a lot of times I'm crying when I'm, whether I'm singing or screaming, like I've had to stop and start over again to get my emotions under control because I really deeply feel uh, everything that that we write about, um, as far as in the scope of our our discography, Lutrician was our first double album. We made another double album, um, I think 2013. The title is in Russian. The most people call it the Russian album. Um, that is every bit as historically um, detailed. Um, it's a lot more of an overall heavy record, so I can see that people who who want to experience more of a wide variety of music genres might not see it in the same space as Lutrician, but it's the same type of record about another subject that we just are really geeked on and we love. Um, and then the record that we're about to have come out is another super historical um, double album that is different from anything we've done before. Our, our whole thing as far as records is pretty much we want to do something different than we've done before each time. But it, like you said, I think that's what you kind of honed in on about context. That's it exactly. Like for us, everything we do has a context. So in context of us making records, it's really not, it, it has never been for us about promoting our band, which is dumb, I understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's not what you do if you want to succeed in music. But we just want to make music. Like, that. It, it's weird. We're not, we're not people who really wanted to be on, on stage to, like, like I said, to be in front of people, you know, to be dancers, to be um, performers in that sense. And I'm, I admire people who, who can do that and want to do that. I'm not saying at all that it's a negative thing to go into music for that reason, but it's not how we approached it. We just always wanted, we wanted to do, in our shows, we want to just become part of the music, and, and we don't like playing music live that's not heavy. We just don't enjoy it. It's, it's not huh. the context for us where we want to be quiet. <laughs> And, and that probably has something to do, you know, initially at least with us being a little bit uncomfortable being quiet on stage and, and not feeling like, you know, we're performers in that sense. But also, like, nothing is more freeing and amazing. I don't know. People have asked me before a lot, like, what it's like to play through the white wall. And I try, the, the best analogy I can make is like, you get the fastest, most powerful, loudest sports car there is, whatever that might be, and you have a free and clear road ahead of you. 
and you put the hammer down. Like, that's <laughs> what it feels like. And it's just, it's God, you know. Why wouldn't you do that every time you can in your whole life? <laughs> that, that That's amazing. Talk about context. Um, and, 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 you know, to be respectful of your time, we just wanted to comment quickly because we're, we're, we're primarily... Um, uh, we cover a lot of death metal and grindcore and more of the extreme type of music. And uh, reviewing your catalog in the last several days, um, you know, it, it, it goes without saying that um, maybe albums like Throned in Blood and District of Dystopia uh, might appeal to a, a people that are more from that power violence, grindcore and, and black metal background. What are your thoughts on those styles of music, and what are some bands that maybe um, uh, influence or inspire you, uh, or, or do or do bands uh, from that that pocket of music influence or inspire your more metal leanings? I um I gotta say first of all that um, the way that I grew up has a big imp- and and you know the age that I am as somebody who didn't come up in a culture where I mean. Black metal didn't exist when I was a kid. Like it just didn't exist. And a lot of a lot of the stuff that you know, people who who are even ten years younger um, might have come across as they were discovering music and especially more underground extreme kinds of music. Like it it either didn't exist, hadn't been thought of, or I never had access to it because of the way my my upbringing was and stuff. And Interestingly, I I kind of like I did like I said I did find Obituary I did find Slayer there was stuff that was like distinctly forerunners of extreme music in those categories and I listened to some of the punk and like DRI whatever all that stuff is like I can see how it relates to later subgenres that evolved kind of after the fact um, and I love it there is not a music I would rather play than like thrashy, deathy, grindy. Yeah, I don't have, I don't, <laughs> like I don't want to play anything else in a, in a live setting. I enjoy writing and recording really pretty stuff or stuff that, that I just wanted to see if I, if I could make, um, I don't know, just, just things that, styles of music that have always appealed to me that I wouldn't want to play as my job. You know what I mean? That I wouldn't want to play as my set in my band. Um, we recorded a lot of songs like that because for us, again, with context, the thing was always that in the studio we can do whatever the fuck we want and we don't have to... Um, you know, we never had guest musicians. We always we played our own parts. If it's piano, if it's violin and cello, if it's... Uh, wind instruments whatever like we one or the other of us knows how to play it and can write the part for it and can perform it and track it on the record so that was always something really cool and fun for us to do and and also kind of like a break from heavy music um to because we i don't know we're really greedy i, I feel like i'm going on and on about this answer but we're greedy ass people we love music we really really love it and the only music we want to play live is extreme as fuck. And the only, not the only music we want to record. I guess that's what, that's the best way to say it. The only music we want to play live is extreme as fuck to the point that people who love extreme music 
leave our show because their ears hurt <laughs> sometimes. I mean, really. <laughs> or they're, you know, the, the, the bass is making them sick or, <laughs> you know, something like that. I mean, get these stories and let people laugh about it. They laugh about outlasting their friends at our shows and stuff. So obviously, you know, we're not restrained in that setting. And um, if I had, if I had to like, I don't know. I can't actually listen to music when I'm driving, so that's a weird thing. I don't get to listen to a lot of music because I have. <laughs> but you drive. I know, but you I'm drive. Weird, so, right? You travel so much. That's crazy. Okay. It, yeah, it's horrible. Um, what <laughs> happens to me is that. Music that I like, no matter what type of music it is, it zones me out. So, like, mm. anything, anything at all. The best, the best thing I can probably listen to is, is like rap music. But even that will eventually. The problem is it either zones me out or it makes me aggressive. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I listen to like kind of regular music, I you know rock music, pop music, anything, anything more in the mainstream kind of parts of sound, then. It zones me out really quickly. If I listen to like the kind of rap music that I like, it makes me like jump around in my seat while I'm driving. The kind of metal that I like is like the same thing. I'm just I want to throw things. I want to jump out of my seat. I want to sm- you know I'm slamming my fist. I can't listen to that when I'm driving. It's not safe. <laughs> uh, uh, you and you and Edgar gotta come through and hang out. You guys sound cool to me. Well, when, when next time you're on the road, that's cool. <laughs> we'll, we'll play some new, play some New York hip hop for you. It's all good. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm always happy to find the people who are, you know, love extreme music and then also love rap music and also love traditional, you know, folk music from all around the world and you know, love old country and so that's who we we are. We love music. Period. And then it's all about context as far as, you know, if it's a record, you might get anything. It might be super heavy. It might be super beautiful. Um, we don't do beautiful stuff live, so <laughs> it's our only chance, you know? <laughs> hey, keep, keep, it, keep, keep it close. Play it close. Um, I, and, and you're just be, being respectful of your time. Uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time today. We really appreciate this. And uh, one thing we always ask a guest to do, and you're talking about how much you guys love different types of music, uh, we always ask our guests to recommend one older release and one newer release by any artists you like, any genre you like, just to recommend. And we could say uh, Gazelle from uh, Jucifer recommended this. And, and maybe we'll throw in there, um, you know your husband, just to represent Edgar. What's like one album that he always tells people is great? Well, his his album, his go-to for that question is always... Um, the self-titled record, The Shocking Blue by The Shocking Blue. Hmm. Um, and they were a sort of obscure Dutch band from the that recorded in the 60s and 70s and later like got covered by Nirvana and stuff. So they kind of, they have a little bit of radio play in the U.S. from time to time. They had some at the time with the, in the, I don't know, maybe 70s. But uh, he really loved that record. His dad had it. Um, I think he got it in Vietnam. And uh, it was something that his dad, it was one of his dad's favorite records. And Edgar loved that record. And that was just one of the first records that inspired him uh, to be interested in in music, I guess. So it's a weird record. Um, One time for a kind of a prank, I guess. (laughs) 
we're weird. We're strange people. One time for a prank, we played an, a show of entirely their songs. <laughs> and it kind of sounds garagey when you do it with, like, our setup. Yeah. And uh, the, the record label we were on at the time was so excited because they thought we were going to have, like, a really... <laughs> a really successful album <laughs> and we're like oh no no that's not we're not going to be playing that again that was just like a one time thing <laughs> just a prank um, <laughs> just a prank and I don't know why we thought it was so great as a prank but like it was fun for us to learn all the songs and play them and nobody knew what the hell we were doing so it was really like an inside joke um, but <laughs> and then I haven't actually like because of uh what we've been, we've we just been recording and then uh, getting ready to, we've been listening to the record and we've been mixing, we were recording and we were mixing and then we're like just trying to get stuff together to put it out. So I haven't actually gotten a new whole album recently. Um, and the, the newest one I have is kind of hilarious because it wasn't even new when I got it, but I love it. And it's, it's candy. Um, it's not like something I would recommend on a you know for metal fans, um, <laughs> but I just I just don't have a new record in that genre in a genre appropriate to recommend right now. I'm, I think people kind of know that there's a, a shit ton of great records out right now in those genres that re- correspond more to our live context. But if you haven't got Invasion of Privacy by Cardi B and you like that kind of <laughs> stuff. It is so awesome. I love listening to that record. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I'm <laughs> unexpected. I feel really old right now because I, I I'm from New York and that's like for the young people to me. So that that's I, I guess we got to check that out. We got to check that out, guys. I'm writing it down. <laughs> All right. I, well, I already know it's good. I've been there. Yeah. No. I, I kind of knew. Like when you said that, I knew Justin was over here. Like, yep. Car, check. Check mark. Yep. Yep. That's that's on my. Oh, good. Uh, good. Album of the year yeah. List. <laughs> it's funny because, like, I mean, I didn't get it till like I don't know sometime last year. Um, I <laughs> I couldn't find it. This is really sad. I don't. We're archaic. Like with our listening technologies we like you know cds and vinyl so i was looking for something like that of cardi b and the only thing i could find um, i'm sorry i think it was a bootleg i would have loved to give uh, her money for it allegedly but, <laughs> allegedly allegedly bootleg maybe maybe not it's said official um I, but i got it on cd and uh and I, the, the reason why i sought it out at that point was because like um I think it was maybe 2017. I know it's been out for a few years, that record. But we were in Europe and we're on tour. And because we're archaic people, we don't have an iPod with our, you know, stuff. And I can't listen to music when I'm driving anyway, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) But when we, when we would got, I do turn to music for driving when I'm really desperate. I'm falling asleep. And we'll turn on the radio. And European radio, if you guys have been there, and looks for stuff on the radio, which I know most bands don't even do because they have their iPod, but it's really corporate and it's really frustrating. They will play like the first 30 seconds of a song and then the song's just over. What? Like as if the rest of the song didn't exist. Uh. But it's mostly pop music. Um, you hear, like we would always hear stuff that we would never heard any other way, like Katy Perry or something. <laughs> um, and the thing is, like, you you turn to it for keep trying to keep yourselves awake, and we're like, 
you know, trying to dance together to it while we're driving, <laughs> like just doing anything to stay away. And whenever you find any kind of rap music, that's the heaviest thing you're ever going to find on European radio, generally, on anything you can pick up from the highway. Okay. So hmm. any rap song, you're just like, yes, yeah, thank God. Oh, yes. Real music. <laughs> like like huh. music, I don't know, whatever. Not the pop's not real, but you know. Aggressive, more aggressive music. Music with bass in it, whatever. And um, we heard C Cardi B's song, Bodak Yellow, and we didn't know who it was or what it was. We heard like the last couple of lines of the song, and we're like, oh, what was it? That was great. Who is she? What is this? And then we're like desperately trying to find it, you know, for another week, and we finally huh. found out who it was. And then, you know, much, much more time passed years, and I was like, wait a minute, that that song, oh yeah, I love that freaking song, I wonder if she made a record with that song, and I found, that's when I found it in Augusta, you know, perfectly that, above board CD. That is the most wholesome getting into Cardi B experience I could imagine as someone from suburban New York where we're inundated and like punished <laughs> with Cardi B's music. Even since I got the, even since I got that CD, you know, she just blew up and I love, I, honestly, uh, I love Cardi B. Like I, I think she's awesome. I have so, so much like, I don't know, respect for her. Like she just does what she, that's, that's, you know, I'm not a, a person who is as, is as like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, as much of an extrovert as someone like Cardi B. But I I believe in that. Like, just do, do yourself, do what you want to do, live your life, fuck the haters. Like, that. that's great. And, I, and I, I'm just happy every time I see people doing that, especially in that world where it's like everything's so competitive and horrible <laughs> like, uh, music yeah. industry <laughs> i i don't yeah i don't know that cardi b is in my top five mcs but i can definitely relate to um kind of living vicariously through through our, our more outlandish and uh living out loud rappers and, and artists that's great that's that's an awesome story i love it <laughs> yeah i know you know i think she's like i i totally hear like where her derivations are, I guess, as far as like MCs, and I love them too, <laughs> and I get why some people can't, you know, yeah, no, can't no, do that. It's all music, no, <laughs> but, <laughs> no judgment, no judgment. It's all music. It's all music. No, exactly. That's that's my thing, and that's like my biggest thing always. Like people right. sometimes, uh, you know, because I, you know, what happens as we get older people ask us like, what advice do you have for younger people <laughs> getting into music? And I always like don't let anybody tell you what is and isn't cool like like there's no such thing as being uh, a poser about music like you like what you like and not everybody has the capacity to remember who played bass on the first record by a band that only made one record 20 years ago like not everybody has that in brain and it's okay like just look enjoy your life enjoy music as as what it's for like music serves two people it serves the person that makes it and it serves anybody else that that finds it fulfilling on some level it doesn't exist like people make make it part of capitalism and they make it part of self-esteem and they make it you know it's really just that like do you love it then great just fucking love it and if you hate it let it go by you know yeah well uh, words of advice 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm picturing you, I'm picturing you like in the in the RV watching it literally go by on the road, uh, for, on, on, on tour. It, did, it can do that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, Gazelle Amber Valentine of Jucifer, we thank you so much uh, for your time. It's it's been great speaking with you. And you did mention that you're working um, uh, on a new double LP. I believe it's it's in Arabic, isn't it? The title? It is. How did you know? I, I'm on your website. I know you got a pre-order deal with a T-shirt that the listeners can uh, go check out. I, I, I'm, we, I'm on have, we haven't officially released that yet, but it's going to be ready. Like uh, it's going to be. I mean, you can't actually order it on the website already. That was just kind of like we haven't made the announcement yet. But good job on you. <laughs> and definitely <laughs> right. let people know it's there. It's on the website. The pre-order is going to be up on Bandcamp soon. Okay, awesome. And just anything else that we forgot to plug? Uh, any last um, messages to listeners of your music or listeners of our show? Um, to people that are listeners of ours, especially the ones that have been there for a long time, um, but also, honestly, just as much for people who just came to us recently. Like, we cannot express enough how much we appreciate you Um we, especially as a band who doesn't cater to being like easily marketable, <laughs> we know that the people who buy our stuff and support us and come to our shows and spread the word about us and go to bat for us when people say, you know, think that we're something that, that, and then they think that we're not that and they get pissed. And, you know, the people that say, no, listen, they have a whole, a whole catalog and it's, you know, it, it depends on what you're in the mood for, but, but, these guys do this and that and the other thing and you know definitely don't think that you're going to go to the show and it's not going to be you know what you wanted it to be you know whatever all the people who kind of explain our oddness for us <laughs> to other people and kind of help spread our our uh, uh, kind of I don't want to say gospel because it's really not that but whatever you know whatever a synonym for that would be basically just just get the word out about us. The people who do that, we can't express enough how thankful we are for that because we aren't really great at doing it ourselves. And somehow you guys have gotten us through like 27 years and 28 if we can make it through everything going on in the world right now. So um, thank you all so much. And to the people from the podcast, uh, I... I uh, I must apologize if I have gone on too many caffeine rants, but I really enjoyed answering <laughs> the questions. And I thank you guys for having good questions for me and uh, for being here. And it was nice to meet all of you virtually through yeah. the airwaves of the the net phone or whatever. <laughs> the <laughs> matrix. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, no, it was, it was the, the ple matrix. The pleasure was ours, and we're drinking enough coffee to have gotten you for more time than you agreed to. So we'll let you go. <laughs> uh, and. and, and <laughs> Uh, just thanks again so much, and we'll be in touch with you as this episode is produced and uploaded in the next few weeks and so on, okay? Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys. All right. Take care. Have a great day, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, good luck with everything. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye.
Okay, I hope you enjoyed our interview with Gazelle Amber Valentine of the band Juicefer as much as I did. What a I cool did. lady. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We appreciate her time, and um, obviously, big shout to her husband, Edgar. Maybe we'll get to talk to him one day. Uh, and um, somebody who I'm also glad to talk to, uh, maybe the listeners forgot the sound of his voice. I, 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 yeah, guess, 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 guess who washed up on the shores of Huntington Harbor today? Justin, you're back. Do you want to hear where I've been? Uh, well, you can't. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, that <laughs> do. I should ask myself that. Do I want to hear where you've been? Do I have time to, <laughs> to go down that road today? Listen, um, uh, but you know. I know, you know, our guest today, she's been everywhere. They travel in that RV all over the United States. Uh, we hope they get back to it when things get a little bit back to uh, normal, whatever. Um, uh, but, you know, you guys take me places, too. Uh, and, and Justin, I, I, right now I want you to take me where you've been. What have you been listening to along the journey? What's going on? Cool, man. Well, you know, thank you again for your thoughts and your prayers and your support, uh, everybody out there. Uh I'm sure if I gave you all my address, there would be flowers and chocolates at my door. Mm. But I've been listening to uh, Aggressor from France. Okay. Uh, 1G. Parlay one, my vu. 1G in that Aggressor, you know, like mm. like in most uh, single man hip-hop groups, there's always 1G in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we have Aggressor from France, their 1992 release, Towards Beyond. Wow. Okay, I uh, Massacre took me from beyond. Incubus, a.k.a. Opprobrium, took me beyond the unknown. Where does this band take us? We're going straight towards the beyond okay. uh, on this one. Uh, really fucking cool band. Uh, one of the best-kept French secrets I'm, I'm, I'm discovering. Uh, a, a really interesting, uh, creative mix of death and thrash. Uh, synonymous with, with so many early 90s death metal bands. Um this could have this could be placed in that Florida scene, you know that we that we talk about uh, a lot. Um, I get like these proto prog vibes again from from this from aggressor uh, doing some odd time riffs, uh, messing with the rhythms a bit, a little atheist here, a little death there, but uh, yeah, it's it's. It's just more baguettes is what I'm trying to say oh, um, yeah. uh, from this band. So, it, yeah, it, I, you know, I'm a man of not many words and the words I choose to do are questionable. But I've been really digging this record and, and kind of deep diving into it. So I know they have. Let's see. They they're still active to this day, hmm. which is fun. Uh, last putting out good for them a release in 2006 and a couple of compilations in, in the years since. Uh, but I'll be digging into these demos from 86, 87, 88. Yeah, uh, I can't wait. I love this band. Love them, too. <laughs> uh, all right, we're going to take his temperature. Um, he, we just got him out of the water. No, seriously, this is, uh, this is actually so really... So hungry still. Yeah, this, we're going to feed you, but we got to get... The, you got to recommend music before I, I buy you a, <laughs> a, a burger from, uh, from, from Vauxhall. Shout out to Vauxhall. Listen, um... This is actually really cool shit, all joking aside. You know, I, I talk about um, that sweet spot of early thrash uh, slash death metal when it had one foot in one, one foot in the other, and yeah, you had, like, the classic, you know, your 
your, your uh, like I said, Opprobrium's early albums, it's Incubus and your Pestilence and your Death and all these great bands. This kind of sits right there. Um, and I can't really say much more than to just like co-sign everything you just said about proto-prog, um, pseudo-death metal, but with that thrash influence in there and just kind of ahead of their time in a way or maybe just perfect for their time. This is, this is excellent stuff for when you're in that vibe and... Um, you want to see people that were at the cutting edge and maybe a little forward thinking, uh, but still perfectly uh, right for that that thrash slash death metal era. Great stuff. Absolutely. Today I'm bringing in Vengeance by Proxy, their self-titled LP. This came out uh, April of this year on um, Profound Existence, Profane Existence, excuse okay. me. Okay. Read my own handwriting is a little difficult sometimes. Gothenburg, Sweden. Mm. What's this? You think Gothenburg, Ooh. Sweden, you're thinking of uh, some kind of Nintendo melody hmm. uh, behind your heavy metal. Yeah, Bands like, like In Flames and yeah. Dark Tranquility. Yeah, fair, um, fair enough. This is from a parallel universe, no. in which that's not the case here. These yeah. guys are, this is a a, um, a, a thrash, crust punk, uh, coming from this area of the world that, that usually has the more smooth sounding stuff. These guys are going rough, D-beats all the way through, a lot of rock and roll. This mm-hmm. is, you know, Discharge meets Motorhead, um, four-piece band, I believe the two guitar players and bass player are doing vocals, which breaks it up nice all the way through. Highway music. Love good highway mm, music. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm really into this mix, too. The mix is exciting. It's electric sounding. It's organic. Uh, so, yeah, Vengeance by Proxy. Well, uh, this is a very good recommendation. It's interesting. Um, uh, however, I will take your regional assessment of this band as being a little bit out of place and raise you one legacy of Swedish punk and crust that does exist. Um, although I'm not as familiar with it as, as you might think after that uh, little exposition of intellectual supremacy. I'm just, I'm flexing on everyone who thinks I'm illiterate. Come on, I, I read science fiction books for 14-year-olds, come on. Um, uh, but no, seriously, uh, I think there is a, um, a long-held tradition of punk rock and crust music uh, within the Scandinavian countries. I know in Swedish they do have kind of a D-beat um, appreciation that is... Uh, in recent years, you got bands like I think Martyr Todd is from Sweden. They're they're more of like a crusty black metal crossover thing. Uh, of course, you know I'm just mm-hmm. teasing over here. Yeah, uh, when I, I see that name. I think yeah, like this is the only like crust that. from Sweden. I'm I'm raking you across the coals every time <laughs> you speak out of turn, and you know that. Damn it! This is why I shut up on this podcast. <laughs> I'm bullying everybody in my pursuit of metal elitism. Uh, no, Tom, listen, I, I know you actually probably know more about the punk and black metal uh, crossover territory than do I. Well, he's got skateboards. Yeah, he owns a skateboard. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
uh, he, um, he he's brought in stuff like that before. No, this is cool shit. I'm just trying to sound intelligent um, <laughs> and intellectual. <laughs> but but uh, no, this is really. I like the old. I also I, I do agree with your assessment of this as highway music because it has that really fun driving. Like uh, reckless kind of vibe you get maybe with certain like 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 the old Misfits or you know like like that's that's kind of the punk I like so this is cool man it's well, raw. I hear music like this and I go I, I wanted a timeline a a non-existent timeline where this was rock and roll and yeah. not Imagine Dragons and shit like that you know mm. like a sad timeline that we exist now <laughs> with rock and roll and the and guitars aren't on the radio anymore mm-hmm. like I want this on the radio but that's why no one listens to radio. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. You, I. I I, I can't agree with that any more than I, I do. I, I feel you. This would sound so good or on an FM radio. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I want to be in that timeline. Yeah, so shout out to Vengeance by Proxy for keeping it real. Shout out to Ed Templeton. Yeah, Mandela yeah. affect me into that timeline. What's the name of that band, Tom? Vengeance by Proxy. Jeez, those vocals and then the guitar solo. I'm on my fourth cup of coffee. I was about to just cut the sleeves off of my denim jacket and throw a garbage can through a church window downtown Huntington. I'm glad you turned that off before it got crazy. I wish I had. We, we, but, we had some steering wheels in the in here Jesus. in the, uh, the whole cave right now just for Jesus. when shit like that comes on. Well, yeah, it's, right? it's a good thing <laughs> that my recommendation tonight is uh, of, of a more um, uh, holy nature. Uh, let let because I'm not throwing any garbage cans through any church windows. Is that uh, a Houses of the Holy cassette? But, yeah, this, yeah. It, actually, that's it. That's the other side of the mountain. Um, but this, which interesting point about the artwork, I'll get to. Uh, Mortification, post momentary affliction. The second, I think it's actually their third full length album or their second full length album. It depends uh, where you count Break the Curse EP. But. Um, uh, I actually un- oh, I opened this package with this album, and you guys were there in a dream filming it. Stay tuned. <laughs> but um, uh, this this is like to replace. Uh, I, I owned the original Nuclear Blast cassette version that came out back in the day, uh, and unfortunately, I think it, it got worn over the years. It probably got ruined in the basement flood, if I remember correctly. But uh, this has different artwork than the original version I had. The original version I had had a more detailed painting. With, like, a police officer looking at, like, this ruined civilization. This is a little bit different. It's like The Other Side of the House is Unholy by Led Zeppelin. But either way, this is a classic death metal album. And regardless of your religious, theistic, uh, spiritual inclination, you might want to check this out. Um, There is technical, intricate death metal of precise musicianship um, abound. And you might say that this is kind of the best of both worlds between their earlier technical death metal leanings and their later albums, which have a more bass-centric, progressive death thrash uh, type of sound. So this album is before his vocals 
kind of left the, the, the death metal realm and went full on to that more yelled thrash metal hardcore uh, voice that Steve Rowe is known for in the later albums and kind of turns me off to be perfectly honest. I prefer him more with that death metal bark that he goes uh, for with this album and Scrolls of the Megaloth. And this album, whereas Scrolls of the Megaloth, you have a lot, a lot of riffs and, and styles that appeal to even your, um, your, your old school death metal and gore grind fanatics. It's brutal. It's low tuned. It's growling. This album, Post Momentary Affliction, I think speaks more to the progressive and technical minded death metal fan. Uh, even people who I think appreciate like Atheist and Cynic could find something here, but it's very hard-hitting, and listening back and reviewing it before I, I want to speak about it today, it actually, there's parts of this that remind me of Broken Hope, uh, of uh, uh, Oppressor, and even of like Suffocation and your more brutal technical death metal bands that preceded the brutal death metal movement of the late 90s. Uh, and I think it has to do with the drumming, uh, the rhythm section, and the technical guitar work that, um, uh, it's still, it's still rooted in thrash, but that kind of progressive bent of riff after riff and, um, uh, playing with rhythm that you get from, from the brutal death metal movement is there too. This is just, it's a really interesting album. I know a lot of people get turned off by the Christian death metal thing. We've kind of explained that on the podcast before. It doesn't really bother me. Uh, you know, I listen to Deicide, I don't worship Satan. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of different bands. I might not sign on with what their lyrics are about or whatever. It's it's all music, and I think the same way. Uh, if you're a Christian metalhead, you already know about Mortification. I don't need to tell you about them. But if you're looking for a very interesting technical death metal album from the early '90s, some songs even clock in at seven, eight, ten minutes long. There's a bass instrumental track. You might want to check this out for the guitar and the instrument heads. The bass players especially should uh, familiarize themselves with Steve Rowe if you want to find a, an interesting extreme music bass player um so australia's mortification a band i've brought up before and a band with kind of an infamous legacy uh very niche type of band for christian metal i definitely recommend this second album post momentary affliction of theirs if you're gonna go in and check out um the classic stuff and, and uh you know like i said that scrolls of the megaloth is always the go-to give this a try too if you like that Thank you to Gazelle Amber Valentine of the band Jucifer. Uh, and thanks to uh, Edgar of the band Jucifer, too. Uh, shout out to both of them uh, and their legacy uh, that they've built over the last near 30 years. We're going to keep our eyes peeled for their new album, and we encourage our listeners to go back and check out their uh, vast catalog. And as I said before, you know, um, uh, obviously they, they cover a lot of different styles. Just quick note, though. Uh, you know, I, I'm more of an old-school death metal and grindcore guy. Everybody knows that. I do try to keep an open mind. But my particular favorite Jucifer albums are Throned in Blood from 2010 and District of Dystopia from 2014 uh, because of the raw grindcore kind of uh, sound that they deliver with that. And it's really interesting to know the kind of heavy intellectual, histor historically uh, and literary-minded 
uh, aesthetic that goes behind some of their stuff, too. So, so shout out to them. Really interesting band. Uh, if you're a fan, you know. And if you're not, uh, maybe, maybe peep it. You know, check it out. Yeah, do yourself a favor. And uh, honestly, the older, the older stuff, uh, the grungy writing, uh, beautiful melodies. Yeah. So uh, yeah. their catalog is solid. Because I did what you did this week, mm-hmm. and I, I, I listened to the whole discography. I liked the whole thing, to be honest with you, and I like the different offerings. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Okay. Um, I like the knowledge of uh, electricity uh, going on. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A uh, family of electricians and teachers, and then she ends up. Uh, you know, securing this wall of amplifiers that that you know trips breakers and it, it all it all wraps up. It's all you know it all goes together, man. Interesting concept. We'll be on the lookout for their next album. Um, I'm going to be on the lookout for the bands that both of you guys recommended because apparently Aggressor is still active. Um, Mortification. Uh, I don't think he's doing that anymore. But I'm going to be on the lookout for this album on vinyl as I only own it on cassette. Uh, and I'm going to be on the lookout for Justin. Thank you for joining us again today. I, I was on the lookout for you the last few episodes. I didn't know what happened. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I chopped up a cryptic shift record and, and threw it out as chum to lure you into the coast. I can smell that from a considerable distance. Yeah, and, and, and it worked. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh but, uh, but in all reality, I think we're caught up now because you re- you recommended one thing and then you missed the episode. So I think, how many reviews, how many recommendations do you owe us now for the next episode? Just one. Okay. I have a follow-up question, Will. I know this is overtime right now. I, uh, on my travels, <laughs> driving uh, down a road, a, yeah. long, a long road, uh, I came across the mayor of New Jersey. Uh, and he was he was driving in his car, and <laughs> Tom is this is that a euphemism for Tom Ander? Shout out to him. Or? It's 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 more about um, mo- like the DMV in New Jersey, and uh, his license plate was really interesting. So um, just keep Will. I'm going to show you a picture. Just tell me tell me tell me about his license plate. What does that say? <laughs> it says one. 